Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, and we are really excited. I've been blessed with a lot of great football coaches over the last month in December and now into January. You know, I had David Cole from Mercer, um, you know, Jonathan Brillo from BC High, and again, another tremendous coach that we have on here today um, you know, was the former uh, head coach at Old Colony High School from 2012 to 2014. Um, was uh, is currently the um, old Rochester football uh, football head football coach. Uh, finished with a record of nine and two last year. His first year as head coach, so pretty impressive. Um, and was the South uh, Coast, uh, if I'm getting it right, South Coast champions in 2019 too. So nice lead title on the uh, coach's belt as well. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, we are really excited here today to have on our guest Bryce Gilbo from Old Rochester High School. Hey, Anthony, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here and talk some football. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, you know, I put your name out there on, on social media, and there's a lot of fans of you. Uh, there's a lot of people that are retweeting, liking, you know, write me personal messages of how great of a person you are. So I, I'm really honored to have you on here. Uh, you know, we don't really know each other particularly well, but I feel like I know you between all the homework we've done, our conversation, and all the great feedback I've been getting. So it's really nice to have somebody on here that a lot of people just, you know, have at such a high regard. Oh, man, thanks for the kind words. I mean, uh, maybe if uh, after a loss, there wouldn't be so many retweets and likes of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, that I know how that world works, man, <laughs> I tell you. Uh, so, yeah, you know, typically, co you know, coaches that come on here, the first major question that I really asked them is kind of tell us your, little, your story a little bit. I know you got your start at Old Colony, but there's some cool story to that, and I want to give you a, a, a chance to really talk about that. So let our audience know, you know, how did Bryce get into to coaching? So my father, he's been coaching high school football about 40 years now. And, uh, you know, as a little kid, ages four or five, like every year, double sessions or triple sessions back in the 80s, you know, my father basically loaded me up in the car at 6 a.m. and we'd go off to school. We'd be there for 12 hours, you know, about 6 p.m. So when I was a little kid, like, you know, I started off just playing with the other, you know, boys or girls, other coaches, they bring their kids. And then, um, you know, as I got older, you know, I started throwing the football around and I got really into it, you know. I'd say probably about uh, middle school, my father was a head football coach at uh, New Bedford Vogue Tech. And, um, you know, I started watching game tape with him and breaking down film. And he'd start like, you know, I had a lot of patience. He'd explain things to me like, you know, cover two, cover three. And, you know, I'd help him out. He'd say, hey, can you read me the, the numbers on the line left to right? And I'd help him out. So at an early age, I kind of got that fixed. Like, oh, this is cool. My father, he was an English teacher for 40 years. He's retired now. But like his second job was like coaching football, you know, like. And to me, when you're a kid, you just think that's like, that's his gig. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I always knew at a young age that I really wanted to get into it. Um, you know, I played hockey and baseball as a kid. I didn't play like Pop Warner football where I'm from. It really wasn't like as prevalent as it is now. So my first taste was in high school. And, um, you know, I played high school Bishop Stang. Um, I went on after that, I did a prep school year at Bridgeton Academy in Maine. I played a year at junior college. I eventually ended up at Framingham State. And, uh, you know, after graduating from there, I played some hockey my first couple of years. And I finished playing football. Um, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. It was just like, I was still living in Framingham. I was running a bar back then, and uh, my father was still coaching football. And um, I think it was 2010, he got the head coaching job at Old Colony High School. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you come down? He's like, I know you want to coach. So that was like my first taste of getting into coaching. And, uh, you know, I went there for the first couple of years. I ran the as the offensive coordinator, um, really opened my eyes. You know, a lot of things I took for granted as a kid because I had that background with my father coaching. You know, wasn't I figured everybody had that background, you know, in coaching. And, uh, Kind of took it for granted and learned a lot about what it takes to be a successful coach and all the hard work that goes into it. And I uh, finally, in um, 
2012, my father decided it was getting too much for him. You know, he's getting older. He, he wanted to coach, but he didn't want to be a head coach. So uh, his job opened up and I ended up putting in for it. I ended up getting the job and I was there for three years. And then, um, you know, I took a year off from football. And then um, I, I got the following season, I went to Old Rochester as an assistant coach under Justin Kogler. And, uh, you know, I did that for three years. I was the, uh, the, I was the special teams coordinator. I coached the quarterbacks and the outside linebackers. And then uh, he ended up leaving Old Rochester to take a job at West Bridgewater. And uh, I was fortunate enough, I put him for the job and I got the head coaching job. That's awesome. I know. And there's so much to dissect there because there's a lot of great information of every place that you've been a little bit and how you've grown as a coach. So the one cool thing that I really found when doing the homework with you and then obviously talking to you on the phone a little bit and you mentioned is coaching with your dad and being around that. I mean, talk about seeing yourself as dad, you know, seeing your dad as dad and then seeing yourself as dad, this man of young, young men, you know, this motivator of young men and, and getting them prepared week to week. I mean, you got to see your dad in two different lights. I mean, talk about how cool that is. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I mean, even as a young kid, like when I was like in middle school, I'd say, like I used to listen to my father give his pregame speeches and I'd get fired. You know, I hadn't even played football yet. I'd get fired up. And I always thought that was awesome. And then actually being on the staff and see, he's always been like, had the gift of gab, you know, he always, he'll talk your ear off, but he's a good motivator. Like he always motivated me as a kid playing athletics and just watching him uh, firsthand. And, you know, that was pretty awesome. And then the, when the roles reversed and, you know, I took over as a head coach and he was underneath middle colony, um, you know, I tipped my cap to him because I'm sure there were times where things that I was doing or a play call that I was calling that when he was a head coach, he'd be like, no, not now's not the time, but he just, he went with it and he was, you know, he took a back, a step back and he let me do my thing. And he always offered advice and counseling. And, um, I mean, it's really, I'm really fortunate to be around him. He's a great guy. Everybody I know loves him. He, he was a great teacher and great football coach, great father. And, um, you know, when I got the job at old Rochester, um, he had been out of coaching for a couple of years and, um, you know, he's retired. My mother was like, please, like for the love of God, get him out of the house. And he wanted, he always did his talk football, you know, he talked to me all the time. Hey, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, they're running a four, three. What do you think about that? I'll be like, all right, dad, like relax, you know, but then we brought him on last year. He ran the freshman program. He did a great job because, you know, he's got a lot of patience and he loves coaching like the fundamentals and the little nuances of the game. So he, he did a great job with our freshman program. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of those kids that we'll be counting on this year and years to come. Yeah, it's so funny, you know, because I think over looking at that, right, like coaching your freshman level, like you need a coach who's patient, you need a coach who understands the game, you need a coach who's going to teach the fundamentals, because that's the core value of your program as they rise through and go through. So what better man to trust than, you know, your pops? And I mean, and looking at this, I just have the stats here, but he coached over 20 years of Bishop Stang, um, nine years of great, uh, Greater New Bedford. Uh, seven years at Old Colony and now a year with you. So he's been around football for quite a long time and it has a lot to add. So it must be nice to have your dad on staff uh, with you too, you know, during this time of being a head coach. So let's stick with Old Colony for a second. So I know after a few years of working with your dad, you took over the program for him. Um, for, you know, you were a pretty young guy when you took over the program. Maybe talk to young coaches a little bit about what it's like to go through the process of interviewing at a young age to take over a football program, in this case, a pretty small football program. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the interview process that you went through there. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it was my first time going through the process. Um, you know, I was nervous and, and what I found in that interview, you know, you sit in there, I think the superintendent was there, the principal and the athletic director. And um, besides the athletic director who has a background in obviously football and other sports, you know, they don't really, they're not really concerned about X's and O's too much. You know, it's more about how you're going to lead this program, how are you going to build a culture, how are you going to treat the kids, 
you know, how are you going to respond to, you know, an upset parent or anything? And, um, you know, I was looking back and I was probably a little unprepared because in my head it was like, okay, X's and O's, this is what I'm going to do. But then they started asking like big picture questions. Um, and, you know, going through the process and it was good. I think there were four or five candidates and I ended, went down to finals and then I ended up getting the job, which I thought I had inside track being there, but I think I was only, you know, 30 years old when I got the job. So I was still pretty young, you know, as far as coaching goes, um, you know, and we hadn't had a lot of success either, you know, at that point, I think we we'd only won a couple of games. So, you know, they took a chance on me. They definitely could have been like, well, we're going to get somebody with a little more experience who's had success. But, you know, I think I did a good job selling myself and my vision. And, um, you know, I got lucky. I got fortunate. I'm grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, I definitely want to be where I am now without that opportunity at Oklahoma. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you take over a program at, you know, at any age, it doesn't matter. There is such a shell shock, right. And, you know, of, wow, this is, I, I have to not just be a coordinator, but I got to do all that stuff that you mentioned and all those types of questions that you're being asked. And it's, it becomes a way harder job than you ever realized. You know, you're like, wow, this is, this is, you have to do everything. So um, I know the first couple of years, you know, numbers were, you know, okay. And record wise, you know, you were starting to build that culture, but year three, um, Old Colony had a six and five record, which, you know, talking to you, they hadn't really had a lot of winning success for a while. So year three, you know, you're building your program, your three-year plan, your culture, and you're starting to see that change. I mean, talk about year three at Old Colony. What started to change in the program? Well, I, I think the biggest thing for us is that, uh, you know, they had never had a weightlifting program in before. So we had started that, I think my first year as an assistant, we had started it and it was a slow trickle though. You know, we had, our numbers weren't huge. We might've had, you know, 35 kids in the whole program. So, you know, that first year we may have had like six or seven kids weightlifting then maybe it went up to 10. And by the time that I took over and we had, when I was my third year there, my last year there, that senior group, they came through the system and they had kind of bought in. They were a talented class. As sophomores, a handful, five or six of those guys who started right away as sophomores. And those guys really set the tone for, you know, hey, you got to be in the weight room. And, they, they, you know, I had to lean on them, but they held themselves accountable. If, you know, if one guy wasn't there, he was texting, hey, where are you? You know, what do you, what's going on? And I think at the end of the day with any program, um, the kids got to hold themselves accountable. The coaches are going to be there. They'll push you. But if the guys in the locker room aren't saying, hey, where are you? I was there. You weren't there. You know, it's not, you're not going to get the results you want. Um, and that senior, like I said, that last year, those seniors, they were really dedicated. And, you know, we went six and five. I think that was the first winning record they had in 16 years. Um, and we probably would have gone eight and three during one of those, um, we just missed the playoffs. I think we were four and three. And then we, the non-qualifiers, we won our first game. Then our starting quarterback went down like the second play of the game, broke his ankle. So then we won a little tailspin. We went five, we lost two in a row. And then we won a Thanksgiving game against Tri-County to go six and five. So that was a, a nice cap to uh, end the season, you know? Yeah. And, and it's tough when, you know, when your numbers are small to begin with, but especially the quarterback position. I mean, you see that at all levels when quarterbacks go down, they are hard to replace at any level. It doesn't matter where it is. Um, so I know after three years of working at old colony or coaching at old colony kind of stepped away from coaching for a little bit. And when I did my homework on you, I noticed that you jumped into the world of hockey, which I know has been a passion of yours growing up. Uh, so I'm curious, I'm a hockey guy myself. I played hockey. Um, I never coached it, but I grew up playing hockey my entire life. I was a football guy as well. Um, talk about the change of, you know, here you are working in a football program and then running a football program. Now you kind of jump on boys and assist in an old, uh, old Rochester high school uh, hockey program. Talk a little bit about being an assistant coach under another head coach 
in a different sport and maybe how that helped you grow or develop as a coach before you jumped back into football a little bit. Yeah. So I actually started coaching hockey there in 2012. So my first year as a head coach at Oak Colony, I actually was an assistant on the old Rochester hockey team. Oh, okay. So um, it was great. I mean, the guy who was a head coach, this guy, Eric Labonte, who uh, he actually coached me in high school. Um, great guy, great hockey mind. And, uh, you know, it's a lot, hockey's a lot different than football. You know, football, you have these two and a half, three hour practices hockey. You're talking about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes ice time. So you got a lot to work in between offensive zone, defensive zone, neutral zone, power play, penalty kill, you know. And um, Eric, like I learned a lot. Eric's a, a, film, a film rat, you know, him and I had a lot of fun time breaking down game tapes and going to scout, you know, and he sees the game completely different than how I saw the game. But he's been doing it for now probably 30 something years, you know what I mean? Um, so I learned a lot, you know, and I learned a lot from him. Like if we were working power play, he might spend 15 minutes just on the draw, making sure guys are tying up the guy, making sure in like, you know, the little nuances, Hey, if we don't have possession, we don't have anything. So like he put a lot of points of emphasis on little small things. And, you know, it's like anything else, you know, a lot of times like greatness isn't just the big things. It's a bunch of little things stacked up. And if you win the draw on the face off, if you have possession, now you have an opportunity. You lose the draw on the ice, the puck is starting from scratch, you know? So I think a lot of things, I mean, it's a completely different game, but um, you can take a lot what you learn from hockey and you can apply it to football. You know, there's a lot of drill, even drills that we ran in hockey. And I'm like, hey, I, like, I can turn this into a football drill, drill with my D-backs. And, you know, you change it, you take what you like and you push away what you don't like. But I learned a lot about coaching from him and just, you know, how to handle, you know, how he handled different personalities and, you know, how some kids he was really tough on. Some kids he gave them tough, he just, you know, built them up. They had tough shift like hey it's okay Mike get him next shift where you know still being a young coach in my 30 early 30s like I was I grew up you know in uh when I played in high school like my coaches were really hard on me my father was tough on me so I like I always enjoy tough love like I was okay playing for tough tough coaches but um some kids are different some kids need to be patted on the back say hey you're doing a great job and we'll get them next time so I learned a lot from him as far as that goes because he you know he showed me how to manage different personalities and you know, he would give me responsibilities like the penalty kill and things like that. And, you know, and then sometimes he, he'd always take your point. If you're like, hey, this is what I think you should do. Well, you better be able to explain it too. Don't just say, hey, I think we should run, you know, an umbrella on, on the power play. You'd be like, well, why the hell are we going to do that? You know what I mean? Like, so he, he, it was good because I learned a lot from him, but I also, I learned things that I still use with my assistant coaches. They'll make a suggestion. And I'm like, well, why? Don't just suggest things. Like, give me a reason why, you know what I mean? So like, I learned a lot from him and, um, it, we had a, he had a lot of success here. I think we won like six straight SEC championships. Um, our second last year, we went to the Garden. We, we lost in the state finals to uh, Shrewsbury, four to two, and that was a great experience. Playing well, the kids playing at the Garden, me being on the bench, and um, it's definitely something that like, you know, you, you have that. And then I go and coach football, and you have that like a little bit of a street cred, like, hey, Coach Gilbert, he's he, he coached at the Garden. You know what I mean? So I think it definitely helps the kids know that you kind of know what you're talking about and that you're not just blowing smoke. Yeah. And it's great. I, I, I've always found it great to listen. I mean, this show, right. Listening to coaches of all different sports, football, basketball, lacrosse, whatever it is to hear how they deal with their programs and the football world's different. I mean, I've said this on a few episodes, but you know, you have a week to recover. You have a week to game plan. You have a week to think about things in the world of hockey. I mean, you might be going back to back nights or if not every other night. So learning the mentality of a coach, how to quickly is flips his team around maybe after a tough loss or after a big win and keeping them focused. I think those are the small little things that help you as a football coach to be like, Hey, you know, this is what the mentality has got to be. And we got to make sure they're sharp. So 
it's awesome. I think cross-boarding and really listening to how other coaches do things can always influence us. This show is the number one example of it. I've learned so much. I have a notebook of, of notes that I keep that I'm just, I'm amazed by what some coaches do. So it's great. You learn so much from other people and especially coaching another sport. So you mentioned that street cred, right? At, at old Rochester and being able to know the kids and they know who you are and you coach the garden. Um, so the kids respect you. They know that you're a pretty good coach and you're involved in a pretty good program. How'd you get back into football? Because you jumped into coaching again at old Rochester where you were, I think the special teams coordinator, defensive back coach, if I'm right, and QB coach, right? Is that what yep. you were? Yeah, outside linebackers and quarterbacks, yep. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so, um, you know, talk about how you got your start back into coaching football at old Rochester High School. Yeah, so uh, Justin Kogler, who was the head coach at the time, um, him and I, had, I've known him for a long time. I played against him in high school. Uh, when I was at Old Colony, he was at Bishop Colony. We played against each other. So we've always been good friends. Um, knew each other really well, and uh, he knew I took the year off, and I had a couple opportunities to coach, and I didn't do it. I kind of just took the fall off and uh, figured I'd wait to see what, what would open up. And um, he reached out to me, said he had an opening on his staff. And right as soon as he talked to me, like I knew, I had already talked to a couple other schools, but I knew like this is a perfect fit for me. I already coach hockey there. You know, I know the athletic director. I know the community. I know the school. I know what type of kids and how important like athletics are over at Old Rochester. So as soon as he had to come, I'm like, I'm in, man. Whatever you need, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity, a great group of kids. I mean, when I was there, as the assistant, Justin won nine and two, nine and two, and eleven and one. You know, we won two SEC championships. We lost in the Super Bowl. Uh, we did a lot of winning, and uh, you know, not nothing against Old Colony. You know, those we did a great job when we were there. We had some success near the end, but you know, winning. I wasn't used to winning, going nine and two, nine and two, eleven and one. So like every win we had, it was like Christmas morning for me. Like I was, I was excited. I was, it didn't matter if we won seven to six or forty-two to nothing. Like. It was Christmas day and I was so pumped and excited. And, you know, some of the kids would even be like, man, the coach, like, calm down. Like we always beat these guys. I'm like, listen, they don't hand out W's on Friday nights, man. We'll take them whenever we can get them. So talk, talk about the interview process there. So you were an assistant coach, um, you know, and eventually you, you interview for the head coaching job. And actually, before I even ask you that, let's talk about your experience at Gillette Stadium. There's not too many coaches I've met that play at the garden as a coach and then well, coach at the garden and then being able to coach at Gillette Stadium. And you did it both as an assistant coach, which I think is really cool. So I got to be there in 2008 as an assistant coach, as a D coordinator. And, you know, we won our game and um, it was a cool experience. I, I felt like the one thing I really learned there was, you know, plays are going on. You're like, what's happening? Where's the one? What's happening to the one technique? What's happening to the three technique? And you forget that you have a replay board. Oh, wow. That's a podcast first. Hey, there it is, man. <laughs> um, but I remember there being like, oh man, just, just look up at the, just look up at the big screen that they replay every single time. And it probably took me a quarter to kind of figure that out before I was like, wow, this is great. I mean, talk about your experience playing there a little bit. I mean, it was awesome, man. It was such a great experience for the kids. I mean, you warm up, you're in the bubble. Um, then you walk over from the bubble to the stadium. Uh, there's a couple of Patriot players just kind of greeting us as we walk through. Hey, good luck, coach. Good luck. Play high five of the kids, you know, and then uh, we were fortunate. We played, I think it was like the five o'clock or five thirty game. So as we were in the tunnel waiting to come out, like right as that happened, the lights went on at Gillette stadium. And like, you know, I don't know how many people were there, maybe eight, 10,000 people, but uh, it was awesome. It seemed like, it might've been 60,000 for all we knew, you know, it was exciting and the lights went on and just to be on the field. And I'm sure the kids were a little nervous, but I think um, once the game got going, it just seemed like another game. You know what I mean? Like you're making your calls, you're getting your special teams ready. You're talking to your quarterbacks, your, your outside backers. And uh, 
I mean, it was a great experience. Uh, we played Stoneham. We were a very good football team. You know, they won. We, we didn't have the best game. We had, I think, six turnovers. Two were on special teams, so two were, two were on me, which was hard to swallow. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was a great experience. It's something that those kids will never forget. You know, not a lot of kids get to say, hey, I played at Gillette Stadium, you know, where the Patriots play. And that's like a dream coming true when you're growing up. That's what you want to that's what you want to be, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I think in, in Stoneham that year, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Stoneham was, you know, kind of a train ar around our area. I, you know, I coached in D6 level and they were really running teams over. So to watch that game, I remember watching that game and how tight of a game it was. I mean, it was a great game back and forth. And you guys were really the first team that I kind of really seen them, you know, give them a, a tough physical game. Um, and you mentioned there was a lot of things that maybe you, you guys wish you could have had back a little bit, but it was a great game. And um, I thought you guys played pretty well. So, you know, you're at the Super Bowl and then, you know, the coach steps down, right? And now you're going for your second head, you know, coaching job in the football world. Talk about maybe how prepared you were for an interview this time around, maybe versus the first time around when you did it at O'Callaghan in 2012. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely well more prepared. Um, you know, I had interviewed for a handful of head coaching jobs before the old Rochester job, you know, through the years. And, you know, I'd gotten close a couple of times. And I thought, I'd, you know, how the process goes. You kind of think sometimes you have a good interview and you feel really good. You don't get a call. Sometimes you're like, ah, that, that didn't go well. And then you get a call, hey, you're a finalist for the job. And you're like, oh, how'd I get here, you know? But, um, you know, for the old Rochester job, uh, I was very prepared, obviously knowing the kids too, the personnel, um, having that experience and been through the process a bunch. I felt really comfortable and relaxed, um, you know, sat down in front of the athletic director, the principal, a couple of uh, a, a coach and a parent. And um, I was just really prepared for, for, I feel like everything they, they had asked, all the questions, like I was prepared for those type of things. And, you know, Fortunately and gratefully, they gave me the opportunity and, you know, I'm happy to be there and I don't plan on going anywhere else, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it shows, I mean, your first year went nine and two, but let me ask you this. You take over the program that first year. I mean, you're taking over a successful program that's right fresh off of a Super Bowl appearance. Um, talk about the pressure maybe you felt a little bit. I mean, I got to imagine, you know, again, you had that experience of being a coordinator and then kind of jumping to the, to the big job. Right. And now here you are again, doing the same thing this time as a special teams coordinator, making that jump to head coach. I mean, talk about maybe the pressure or the nerves that you had a little bit taking over such a successful program. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's kind of weird because it, it, you know, it's not an ideal situation, right? Everybody wants to come into a job where they have one win and then it's all, it's only going up from there. Um, obviously Justin was a great coach. Um, he did a lot to build that culture over there. Um, but the, the nice thing was is that we lost 22 seniors that year we went, we went to the Super Bowl. So I think, although myself and I think the other coaches on the staff knew that we had some really good players, players on any other year may have started because they had seniors in front of them. They didn't start. We knew we had some good players, but I think the perception around locally and maybe around the league is that we were going to have a down year. So I think that for me, that was a calming effect because I didn't feel pressure like, hey, you have to go back to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It wasn't – obviously, that's what I wanted, but I didn't feel that pressure. I just felt like, hey, like, nobody's expected much out of you. Like, we do have some good pieces. We can catch – we can use as an advantage. We can catch some people. And, um, you know, I got the job on, on a Friday, and I think, you know, two days later we were meeting as a coaching staff. So, uh, you know, we really hit the ground running, and it was nice because I didn't really miss a beat. Justin left, and we still had the weight room going for a little bit. I think there was like a two-week dead period maybe. And then we opened the weight room back up. So we were fortunate in that regard that we kind of had everything already in place and knowing the kids and knowing the staff. I mean, we, saw, we basically had the whole staff back. And I think I added two guys, one being my father and 
uh, one being a younger coach. So, um, you know, it was just kind of bringing my father and, and the other coach, uh, Zach LeBlanc, up to speed of what we were doing offensively and defensively. And, and then, uh, you know, the kids, they knew that the, the bar had already been set. Like, this is the expectation that every year we want to try to win our league and, and then we want to make a run in the playoffs and we expect to try to be in the South Finals. And, um, you know, we, we had a good senior group this year and, you know, we, we made it to the South Finals. We played Ashland High School, a very, very well coached team by Andrew McKay. And, uh, you know, they beat us by a point and they went on to win a Super Bowl. So, you know, we had a good year. Looking back on it, it was a great year. But, you know, as a coach, you always, it's those losses that get you and you reflect back. I almost reflect back every day thinking about, I could have done this, or I could have done that. And, you know, quarantine certainly didn't help, you know, being home for about eight weeks. And, while, you know, at first you start breaking down game tapes for next year and then you start going back and watching last year's tapes. And I'm like, man, look at, why didn't I run 16 Veer here? Oh, like, yeah. You all, question you know, yourself, you why? Your, yeah. yeah, you beat yourself up all day. But, um, you know, it was a good year and, you know, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, and again, let's not underplay the program in general. Right? I mean, I just want to talk about the program. You mentioned you lost 22 seniors, right? So before you had taken over as head coach, you guys were 34 and 6 over, like I did the math, probably like a four-year span, I would say, or three and a half, four-year span over your last 40. That's pretty impressive. And then you hear you come in year one, and like you said, you didn't skip a beat between the weight room and get out. You guys finished nine and two. You lost to the eventual Super Bowl champions. I mean, they always say you rather lose to the, you want to lose to the team that wins it all, because at least that's, you know, that's the team that wins it. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you, 2019, again, you guys won your conference. So, um, you know, you did a great job of really taking over that program and keeping it going in the winning tradition alive you mentioned coaching staff you know now you've had two opportunities as a head coach to kind of hire your own coaching staff to be around these kids I mean what's your expectation of your coaches what are you looking for in coaches what do you want on your coaching staff and what are those expectations you have for them you know for me first thing I want in a coach is I want somebody who wants to be a head coach you know I know that when I, I first started and, and you know as my father, fortunately, being the head coach, but like I knew right away, like someday I want to be a head coach. So like I did everything, whether it was filling water bottles, carrying the water jug to the bus, you know, filling balls with air, like every little detail, because I knew that on game, especially on game day, like my father didn't want to have to deal with that stuff, you know. And then when I I became the head coach, you know, I kind of had some younger guys that I said, hey, this is what I expect of you, and this is what you need to do. And then going forward to when I was an assistant again with Justin, like I made sure that all those little things Justin never had to worry about because I know what it's like when you're the head coach and it's before game and you got a kid, hey, coach, I can't find my earpieces or hey, I need a mouthpiece. Like, that's the last thing you want to deal with, you know? So, um, you know, for me, I always – I want guys who want to be head coaches. And I got some – I'm fortunate I got some older guys. I got a guy, Craig Sherman. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He was a head coach in Old Rochester in the late 90s uh, – early 90s through the 2000s. He won a Super Bowl there. Uh, my father, who's been a head coach a couple of places, I got a guy, John DeRoja. He's been coaching 30-something years. So I got a, a lot of older veterans who have seen a lot of the football. And then I got a good mix of young guys who are hungry to learn, you know, and they, they're willing to stay late after practice and talk on the whiteboard over the whiteboard or to break down film or to do the little things like, hey, make sure the freshman locker room is cleaned up because the janitor is a sick pick, picking up cleats. You know what I mean? So I think um, for me, I just want guys who are all in. If you, you can't be a very good coach showing up at 2.30 and leaving at 5.30 every day. You know, you might not be able to get there early because your job, but you should be able to stick around for a little bit to talk football or talk practice or go over game plan, you know, and uh, ask questions too. You know, like for me, I'm always asking questions. I don't care if I'm, you know, we I had a guy last year who just got the head coaching job at um, Upper Cape, Dane Johnson. And sometimes after our practice, they'd have Pop Warner practice. I'd sit and watch and I'd be like, hey, Dane, like walk me through that drill you guys went through. You know, like I think it's never, you're never too old or you never know too much where you can't learn. 
So like, I always want my guys to ask questions or if they have, like we talked about earlier, if you have a suggestion, that's great. But why don't just say like, I think we should run ISO. Why should we run ISO? Like, you know what I mean? So like, you know, and I think a lot of things, professional development, you know, going to these coaches clinics and not just showing up and, you know, you should have fun way there, but taking notes and trying to learn things. And maybe you're sitting in on something that we don't do, you know, we're an I team, we run, we run option, but maybe you go and see a, you know, a pistol set or, or, or a spread set because you're trying to learn about a way to defend it. You know, there's a, a lot of different things you can do or, you know, resources. I mean, yourself, me, every coach has a network of coaches that you, you ask questions, you're always looking to learn. And I think um, if you're a young assistant, especially like that's, those are the little things you need to do. You need to network, you need to get to know people, you need to really understand and whatever it is, whether you think it's a, a nothing job, whether it's special teams, or if you get a responsibility, like take it like it's the most important job on the field. You know, when I was running special teams with Justin, like they got to a point where he was just like, all right, man, like you don't need to show me every clip on special teams. Like I trust you, do whatever you do. And that was like the best thing because then after that point, I was like, okay, he gave me free reign. I can do whatever I want, but I wanted to show him like I wasn't taking it lightly. Like this is important to me. It's one third of the game and I was about it, you know? And I think if you're an assistant coach for me or for anybody, like, and you have, you get a duty, like that's your duty, like own it. Like try to be the best at whatever it is, kickoff team, kick return, and just go all in on it and make the, get the kids excited about it. Cause a lot of kids, let's be honest, if you're a senior and you, you really only play special teams, some kids are like, ah, oh, it's only special teams. Well, you know, that can cost you or win you a game, you know, like you got to get those kids fired up. Like, Hey, you're only on the field nine times today. You better make them count, you know? So that's yeah, the biggest. I, what I loved is what I read about you and talking and just listening to you talking about it passionately is special teams. I mean, I remember being assistant coach, defensive coordinator, and I used to tell Serge Clavier when I worked out in the Catholic, like, I want kickoff, I want punt, and I want extra point because all three of those can be such a momentum changer against you. And I want to have, I want to be responsible for it. I know I'm going to work hard. I know I'm going to have guys ready to go. And that's also a defensive mentality. So I want to, you know, I want to be the guy who does it because I'm the defensive coordinator, right? So, you know, like you said, it can change games. I mean, we've punted teams inside the five-yard line so many times and play the field position games. We've, you know, knocked guys down and, and made the ball come out and we get a turnover on kickoff. So it can change a game very quickly in your favor, but it can also happen the other way against you. How much time do you dedicate? I mean, now as a head coach, how much time do you dedicate to your special teams maybe per day, per week? I mean, how much time are you putting into special teams at practice? You know, besides Monday, which is kind of, you know, we have JV games. I'd say Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, at least 25, 30 minutes every day. Awesome. Um, I love special teams. You know, when I was at O'Colony, I ran the special teams, even when I was a head coach. Um, you know, special teams, to a normal person, they don't notice them unless something bad happens or something good happens. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think it's a really under, especially the high school level, I think a lot of people take it for granted. And, you know, they try to hide guys on special teams, which, you know, that can be a dangerous game, man. Like, it can cost you a game, and I've seen it happen to – myself in the past and um you know so we spend a lot of time doing special teams you know to me punt is the most important special team if you're punting the ball that means that you know you didn't do what you had to do on offense so now you got to make sure you flip field position um and then next to me is probably uh extra point or field goal and then it, then it's kickoff team and kickoff return you know because if you're kicking off that means you just scored it you just scored so you want to make sure you pin them deep and you get good coverage in the kick i mean nothing can swing a game like a kickoff return for a touchdown or punt return for touchdown and you know being the special teams coordinator I know in the past when that's happened like you try to avoid the head coach or whoever's in because you know even if it wasn't your fault you know you're getting the blame you know what I mean 
And, uh, and if you take one back to the house, they're not exactly going to give me a, a slap on the butt either. You know, they're like, well, that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. So, um, yeah, I love special teams, man. We try to dedicate 25 to 30 minutes a day. Um, you know, even if it's just, you know, extra points at the end of practice or whatever, just, just to make sure the kids realize it's an important part of practice, you know? Yeah, and I've, I've always felt like some of your younger players that you think are close to kind of sniffing getting reps defensively anyways for me, some of those kids I was putting on special teams to be a maniac running down the field and trying to cause a turnover, whether it's on spread punt or whether it's on kickoff. And then that starts building confidence and a mentality in them. Man, the coaches have confidence in me. They start playing better at the sub-varsity level, and now they're getting even better. And now all of a sudden you are giving them maybe that five to seven reps a game early on to get their feet wet at varsity. So I think special teams, not only for the importance of it in the game, but also in developing some of your players and their confidence level of getting them on there, especially making a play under the lights and Friday night in front of a crowd and people are like oh that's that sophomore who's in that chemistry class I know that kid he's a real nice kid and here he is now getting these accolades and getting noticed at the varsity level so I I, I think that stuff's really cool um, I'm going to read uh, a quote from you in the paper about offensive scheming um, and then I'm going to ask you maybe just to elaborate a little bit more on it um, and I have the exact quote here it says you have to be able to adapt and adjust to what your personnel does best I like to be balanced offensively. I don't think that means you have to run the ball 30 times and throw the ball 30 times in a game. One week, you maybe have to run 50 times, and then the next week, you maybe have to throw 50 times. Talk about your, your, just your thought process and you know, what you think offensively and, and what you want your identity to be. Yeah, I mean, for me, so you hear a lot of coaches talk about being balanced. And um, you know, for me, I think – and I can't speak for anybody else, but a misconception. I think people think that, okay, well, we have the ball 60 times. We're going to run it 30 times and pass it 30 times. And me, I'm not saying I'm right, but like, that's not necessarily how it works. If, you know, if you're playing a uh, Diane Rehoboth and they're going to put eight guys in the box, you better have the ability to throw the ball because, or, or you better be able to have 16 play, 17 play drives to score a touchdown, you know? And then in the same sense, if you're playing a team that, you know, they're, they're playing a softer defense, a 3-3 maybe, and things open up, you better be have the ability to run the ball. So for me, like when we practice, I want to make sure that we cover all the grounds. I don't ever want to be in a situation in the game where like, oh, we weren't prepared for this. You know, we weren't prepared to throw the ball 30 times. We weren't prepared to run the ball 50 times. Um, so I make sure that in practice we get, you know, it might not be during team time, but we're repping our passing routes or our passing concepts and, and you know, we're running, we're doing inside run and, or we're doing our seven on seven. So that way, you know, our kids are prepared and our kids know, you know, every week, some weeks we'll walk, I'll walk to me and be, hey guys, we're prepared to sling the rock. And, you know, the quarterback's excited and these kids are ready to go and they're, they're prepared that, hey, we're probably going to throw it a lot more this week than we did it. And then there's some weeks, there were some games last year, we only threw it two, threw it two or three times, but that's because we were, we were able to, to run the ball effectively, you know? Um, so that's kind of my, my philosophy as far as being balanced. Make sure that Whatever it is, you got to make sure you can you can do both things. Um, and there's been times in the past where I didn't necessarily think that way, and then just situations arise where I'm like, wow, like we really weren't prepared to have to throw the ball that much. We weren't prepared that we we're gonna have to we we're gonna rely on the running game. And that's where I kind of changed my whole mindset of how I wanted to approach, you know, my philosophy and every day in practice. Yeah, and and I think that that's great. Well, what I'm loving what I hear about you, coach, and just for the other coaches that are out there listening it seems like you're just such a complete coach. Like you understand the three phases of the game well and just listen to you talk offensively. So many coaches sometimes try to force their offense 
in situations and force plays in there that aren't necessarily there. And for you, you got to look at it and say, if this is what's going to be given to me, this is what I'm going to take. And that's what you're talking about that 30 times running the ball, 30 times passing the ball or 50 or 50 or whatever it is, is that you got to look at it. And if you're, if you're a coach that's willing to give or take what's given to you, take it. And that's, you know, your game plan, you know, you might have your sheet, you might have your first down plays, your third down plays and everything, but it all goes out the window if you're just patient and take what's given to you all the time and allow the other team to adjust to you. And sometimes coaches don't do that. So it's great. I love that quote. And I'm glad that's what you meant by it because you're right. It is just such a balance based off of what you see. Um, defensively, my side of the ball, I love, you know, and I don't have an exact quote here, but in the paper you had mentioned, you know, one week, it might be a 53 to a 4-3 to a 52, um, you know, in adjusting your defense week to week. Talk about that mentality-wise, because I know so many coaches like myself who used to be married to the idea of this is your identity and this is who you are and you're going to adjust to what you see. And as I got better as a coach, and again, more clinics, more education, I realized is that you do have to mold. You do have to be able to do different things and not just be married to a front of what you are. And that's it. Um, talk about that a little bit and how you balance yourself on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. So I'm last year going into last season, um, the previous year we were in a three, five and uh, we wanted the year going, we we're going to be a four, four, our base was going to be a four, four. And uh, we had some success doing that, but then, you know, as there's limitations in every defense, right? Some th- some defenses are better against the run, better against the pass. And as the year went on, I think we, we ran some 4-4, we ran some 5-3, we ran some 3-5, we ran some 5-2. And, um, you know, we kept it simple, though. You know, we didn't, you know, some, I think on defensive side, like for me personally, I don't want to complicate things too much. I want the kids to be able to run and play. I don't want them thinking out there. You know, thinking's for offense, I always say. You know, defense, you want kids out there who have their, know their responsibility and then just react and play aggressively. And, um, you know, depending on what the game plan was, you know, you know, some weeks we were lined up in a 5-2 and we just manned up across the board against some spread teams. We said, hey, like we trust our athletes. We think we can still get after the quarterback with, with these front five. And we think we, you know, we have linebackers who can drop into coverage and they can come. And um, some weeks we just sat in a regular a base 4-4. So um, I think it's good. You know, it's not for everybody. There's some guys, like you said, who, hey, they run 4-3 and 4-3 cover two. And that's what they're going to be in no matter what you do. And that's great. And, um, but for me, I think you got to put your athletes or your players in the best situation. You know, we, there's sometimes we've had some kids who are great against a run, but they can't drop into pass coverage. So, you know, this week, you know, last year we had a kid who was a senior linebacker and he started every week. And then our first round playoff game, I was at a tough conversation, like, Hey, you're out this week. This is what we're doing. And really what we want, you don't really fit into the game plan. And the kid, you know, he wasn't happy about it, but credit to him, like coach, whatever's going to help the team win. And, you know, the very next week he was back in the starting lineup and he started against Ashland and, he had two really good games against Noel and Ashley. He finished strong, you know? Um, so to me, it's just about doing, you know, right. When you're, when you're breaking down tape, you're trying to take away the, the opponent's strength, right? You're trying to say, well, this is what they do well. So how are we can combat that. And then you're also, for me personally, we're trying to exploit their weaknesses. So if that means I got to get out of my comfort zone of a four, four or four, three, whatever I'm running, because this is going to give us a better situation to win. Well, that's what we're going to do, you know? And I think it's important that all my coaches feel the same way too. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's a conversation. Obviously there's some guys who they'd rather be in this or that, but if once you kind of show them like, Hey, well, this is what we're trying to prevent and this is what's going to help it. You know, I think everybody's on board. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. And uh, everybody buys in. And when, you know how it is, if everybody buys in, you know, you get a great, great chance of having success opposed to if some guys, I don't know, is this what we want to do this week? Do you, do you really think this is going to work? Because if you start second guessing yourself, first of all, the kids can see that. I think, I think they see like, Hey, like coach isn't really sure. 
And second of all, like if you can't second guess yourself and have success, you know, you got to be like, Hey, this is what we're doing guys. We're all in on this and we got to make it work. And if you kind of give them no, no, um, no way out, it's just, this is what it's going to be boys. We're going to sink or we're going to, or we're going to swim, you know? So that's kind of how we approach it. I'm not saying it's the right fit. It's not for everybody. That's how we're doing at old Rochester. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, for an offensive coordinator, that's tough too. I mean, you don't know what they're going to throw at you. Right. So if you're, if you're adjusting yourself, you know, to a former four, three, to a 52, to a, you know, three, five, three, or whatever that it is, that's a lot of adjustment for them as well, because they're practicing something weekly and they'd be like, Oh, they might come out in this and they might come out in that. And let's prepare for this. That's a lot of preparation, a lot of time that they got to use in practice to prepare for the adjustments you make defensively. So as difficult as it might be from your end or just getting the kids on the same page and understanding for themselves for offensive coordinators on the other side, it's kind of a nightmare too, because you're, you're choosing three things. You're going to find one that works and then they got to be able to combat that. So it becomes that chess game back and forth a little bit. Um, so it's great coach. And like I said to you before, you just, you understand the complete phases of the game. And I think that's so important personnel wise. Um, like you said, um, you know, I've been in that situation myself of not playing a captain corner on defense because we faced a double tight double wing and I wanted another linebacker out there on the outside because they didn't throw the ball a lot. So, um, you know, I understand that difficulty, but talk about personnel. I mean, you obviously have your starting guys on each side of the ball. How much substituting are you guys doing in and off the field between linemen or linebackers or defensive backs? And I know some of that might be personnel based, but, um, you know, do you try to get a pretty good rotation in there on either side of the ball specifically, maybe more defensively than anything? Yeah. I mean, we do, we really try to, um, you know, we had a lot of success here. We went to a Super Bowl because we had a lot of kids that only played one way. I think we had two or three kids maybe who played offense and defense, but they weren't, you know, it was a fullback who would rotate in with the guy. So I think from my experience that year, we had a lot of success where we were in tight games at halftime, but then the second half we would pull away. And I think they had to do with the guys were only going one way. So where the other teams, that guy's played 60 snaps on our side, we only had a guy who played 30 snaps. So he's much fresher going into that game. Um, you know, last year we didn't have the ability to have that so much. We probably had like eight or nine guys who started both ways, but we had a lot of linemen. So defensively, we tried to get as many fresh guys in there as possible. Um, and, and that's the goal this year too, especially with COVID and everything going on that once, once we get to playing ball, we're going to try to make substitutes as much as possible and get, as long as those guys are ready and prepared to play. Um, you know, as far as switching to different defenses, you know, we did try to do our best to make sure, okay, the personnel we have in the field, that gives you the ability to be in the 4-4 right now, the 5-3, or the 3-5. And it, sometimes it included, like, a, a DN-type kid maybe bumping back to outside linebacker, that type of thing. But we felt comfortable because we did it so much that um, we were able to make it work. I mean, I remember we played Nosset last year. They had a kid, phenomenal athlete, great quarterback, even better kid, uh, Bobby Joy, probably the best athlete on the Cape, to be honest with you. And he was their quarterback. And, like, he could run the ball. And he was like, I held my breath when he ran and he could sling the ball too. And like, we basically had, we, that's when we went four, four, five, three, and three, five, whenever they went, but it was all dictated. If they had their, you know, tight end wing look, we were going to be in that five, three. Well, if they were two by two, we were going to be that three, five. And we were lucky. We had a kid, D Dylan DeWolf. He was a senior captain. He's at Framingham state. Now he was a great linebacker. And he just do a good job recognizing check and he would check into whatever we were going into. Um, you know, so we, we did a good job again. Bobby Joyce still got his. I mean, we took a lead right before half, and then he took it 
hey, don't kick it to Bobby Joy, and we kicked it to him, and he took it 101 yards to the house, and it's like, well, what are we doing here? We said, don't kick the Were ball. Were you just ball. looking at your special teams coordinator, like, what? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's you know how it feels. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly how it goes, and our kicker, he's our quarterback, and he does a great job, and he's like, coach, I tried to, and he did, he tried to kick it, like, 10 yards the other way, and he just came sweeping through, caught it, and the next thing you know, he's like, in the end zone, I'm like, you know, what are you going to do, you know? Oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we try to do our best with personnel, getting get guys in and out of the game, but also trying to make sure that, all right, if we want to do this, we, if we want to be in a 5-3 or a 3-5, you know, let's make sure whoever's on the field that we can adjust, you know, and make sure we can line up properly because, you know, alignment and assignment, that's basically defensive football. If you're not lined up right and you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to have much success. So we try to really make sure we drill it in on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And we do a lot of walkthroughs, um, especially defensively, just to walk through, you know, letting the kids recognize the different sets they've seen, or maybe if we, Hey, two years ago, we saw them run this, you know, just so that way the kids recognize it. Because a lot of times I feel like on the high school level, it's easy to get kids get confused and they think they see something that's not true. So we really want to make sure that like they have a basic understanding of this is what you're probably going to see. And when they're in this, this is where we want to be. And if we have three timeouts a half and I don't care if we burn all three in the first quarter, I don't want to be out of position, you know? So, um, you know, and that helps when you have a kid like we had last year, an inside linebacker, because he, he was a, a film guy and he understood it. And, you know, it's about having confidence in your players too, trusting that they, they know what you're trying to get done on game day. Yeah, and I think that's great. You know, you mentioned, you know, calling a timeout will blow them all in the first quarter if we have to. I mean, now it, there's only three timeouts with the change in rules over the last year. But you're right, because I've lost games that you look back on a play and we were lined up incorrectly or kids were chatting on the field and you were like, man, I should call a timeout. And then they run the play and they take it to the house and you're just like, oh my God. And then you, we look back at the game. It's what really cost you when you look at the momentum, obviously the score, the points, everything, right? So yeah, it, defensively, it, it's vital that you cannot be out of position because it takes one play for them to be running at that spot that you're out of position and then you're in trouble. Um, you mentioned COVID earlier. Uh, talk about coaching through this. I mean, I just can't. I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, it, it's crazy just going to the grocery store, let alone running a football program and, and keeping your kids as safe as possible. So, you know, talk a little bit about how you've been navigating through this. Well, it's been crazy, right? Because, and I'm sure every coach kind of has the same story. One day you're in the weight room and next thing you know, you're like, hey, they're shutting down school for two weeks. And not in my wildest imagination would we be in January and this is still going on. Like I never, like I literally thought, in my head, and I'm not the smartest guy going, I'll be the first to say that, but I literally thought like, okay, this is middle of March, we'll be back in the weight room, spring break, and then we'll, we'll go through our whole thing, like we'll be behind, but so will everybody else, and then like as it kept going, and it's like, well, this isn't going anywhere, you know, and I thought, you know, early on, I was like, oh, we'll play football, and then about the middle of summer, I realized like, football's not happening this year, at least not in the fall, and, um, you know, we've done some Zoom, we did, we've done some Zoom meetings, um, we have a lot of kids who have work, who are still working out and they're working out, you know, at the gyms, but we haven't like, as far as like a team, we haven't been in the weight room as a team. Um, we did a summer conditioning program for all athletes at old Rochester. We did that for about six weeks. We did a fall conditioning because uh, in, the, in our league, the SCC, um, there was no, there was no like soccer or field hockey. They didn't play any sports. So we did like a fall conditioning and um, we've actually, we've been fortunate. We were able to rent a, an indoor facility, um, at four kicks in time. And we've been about once a week for about the last five or six weeks, we've been able to get the football kids up there, you know, not, no equipment, just street clothes, but, you know, get them conditioning, doing some circuits, teaching some fundamentals, a little install offensive defense with the, the new MIAA rules being lifted, you know, 
Um, it allows us to kind of, and more than anything, it's just great to be around the kids. It's great to be around the coaches, be around the kids because, you know, they, they talk about mental health and everything. But like, I know for me, it was tough this August and September. Like you're so used to like, I should be at double sessions right now. We should be getting ready for our first scrimmage. Last week we played, last year, this day, we played Dartmouth High School, you know, and now it's gone. I mean, it's kind of like, well, what's going on here? And, um, you know, so it's been tough. We got a great group of kids. The kids work hard. You know, they do their own thing on the side, whether it's clinics or, or seven on seven leagues. And then we've been seeing most of them for about one day a week. Um, we've been meeting every Sunday since uh, the middle of October as a coaching staff on Sunday nights, you know, for an hour, sometimes it's 15 minutes football and 45 minutes, just catching up with the, the boys, you know what I mean? But sometimes it's an hour and 30 minutes talking football or whatever it is. So it's just good, you know, for that one or two days a week between me and the coaches and seeing the kids, it feels like, you know, there's no COVID going on. It feels like there's none of this other things that like craziness going on in our world. It's just, you think like it's regular times, old times, you know? So it's been, that's been like the best thing for me, for me, met my mental health. And I think a lot of my coaches, guys like my father and coach Sherman, coach Doris, they, that's all they've known for the last 40 years is, football season and being around the kids and right now we'd already be in our weightlifting uh off-season program so to have that uh one hour on Sundays and one hour on Mondays to be around the kids and the coaches I think it's it's been great for me it's been great for the coaches and even the kids like as much as at times I'm sure they're happy not to see me I think with everything that's going on they're just happy to be out of the house and doing something and they feel like you know they're working towards something that's going to happen in uh the winter so. Yeah. And, and it's been crazy. I mean, every coach that I've had on here, just listening to every school so different too, about what they're allowing and what they're not allowing and what the numbers are in every city and town. So that's great that you guys are able to get like an indoor facility to at least get inside. You know, like you said, if nothing else, just conditioning that team bonding, you know, terminology, language, things that you want to make sure that you're getting across to them as much as you can. How much film are you guys doing? You doing a lot of film with them or are you just kind of, more just about the on the field stuff right now we're not doing any film with the kids to be honest with you um, yeah as a coaching staff we watch some film um together you know we do a lot of i mean with things going on and we do a lot of stuff like hey guys this week let's watch you know a Poniquit's game tape we played a Poniquit three times last year so hey let's watch a Poniquit kind of put and kind of then we'll compare like hey this is what we saw you know but as far as like meeting as a staff and watching film together or right uh, the kids want like it's just a no-go right now you know with everything going on, like, it's just not, it's not something that we've been able to do. I mean, we'd love to do it. And I know a lot of the kids on their own, hey, coach, I watch film, but I, you know how that goes sometimes. It's watching film that them might be watching the highlight tape just watching 20 them. times in a row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, if I had a highlight tape like some of these kids, I'd probably watch it too, you know, but. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your conference, right? The SCC, right? And you guys, obviously, the last four or five years, I mentioned earlier, you know, what you're 34 and six over, over a four-year window. Talk about the types of teams that are in your conference, some of these tough teams that you guys play, because regardless of whether you, you've won the league over a long period of time or you're successful in that league, that league really gets you ready for the big run. It gets you ready for the playoffs. It gets you ready for an extended playoff run. And even that, that's, you know, visit to Gillette Stadium. I think last year, so the SCC is a large and a small, and we're in the large. And I think last year, every team in the large made the playoffs. So ourselves, Aponiquit, Dighton Rehoboth, Somerset, New Bedford, Book Tech, we all made the playoffs. So, I mean, it's a competitive league every year. It's a grind. You know, there's, there's never, I never feel like, um, even the year we went to the Super Bowl, I mean, there were a lot of tight games within that league. There's never like, hey, you know, so-and-so's here and everybody else down here. It's always like, 
everybody's hovering. You know, I think last year when we played DR, I think they were 0-3. And, I mean, we beat them on – they won for two at the end of the game. We just barely squeaked by and won that game. Um, and then they ended up turning around after that, and they ended up making the playoffs. So it's a really tough league. Um, you know, we see different things. We see some double wing. We see some wing tee. We see some spread things. So it's a really like a grab bag. You know, we're running the option. So, like, every everybody has their own niche, and you're preparing for, you know, what works against Somerset Berkeley. It might not work against New Bedford Vogue Tech. You know, so it's uh, it's it makes it fun, though, too, because you're not seeing the same thing every week. Um, but it can be challenging because, you know, as you know, a lot of different offenses, there's a lot of different rules for your defense. So understanding the rules and what they're going to see, and you see a run team like Somerset who's going to try to run it every play, and they see New Bedford Vogue Tech who's going four or five wide and spreading the ball around. It can be tough for the kids to switch from, hey, like, we're in there, we're just plugging holes this week. Hey, guys, get back. Make sure you don't get beat. You know what I mean? Like rotating coverages and everything else. So it is fun. Um, a lot of good coaches in our league, all good guys. Um, you know, obviously it's competitive. You want to beat those guys, but there are a lot, you know, it's, it's a great league to be a part of. I'm proud to be a part of that league. And, you know, you can go out and have a good time with those guys when it's in the off season. And, uh, but then on game day, you know, you're trying to beat each other, you know? Yeah. And, and that's great. It's nice to have a league. I mean, I was in the CCL for a long time um, and it was nice really having relationships with a lot of coaches there and great guys off the field. And, but you know, on the field, yeah, you're competing against each other. You're scouting each other and you're trying to, you know, best each other. Um, and, and again, that probably explains you listen to all those different offenses. This is why you're in a four, three, a five, three, a three, five, because when you're seeing those offenses, especially like a wing team, a double tight, double wing, I mean, guards are everything. They take you to plays, they pull all the time. So it's different in spread. They're not doing that as much so like you said there are different keys and different responsibilities that you got to teach in those offenses or they will run the ball down your throat consistently for five or six yards eat time on the clock and and eat time of possession you know and take your offense off the field so yeah there's a lot to prepare for when you see those types of offenses um Talk about your advice to young coaches because, you know, you, you listen, you've been there and done it. I mean, you were a head coach. This is now your second stint. You were an assistant coach for a very successful hockey program. You went to the garden. You went to uh, Gillette Stadium. I mean, that might be a trivia question down the line for me as the show gets bigger and bigger is what guests did I have on that, that coached a game both? I, I'm going to write that down. That's a, that's a little trivia question I'll have for my fans. Um, but talk about your, your advice to young coaches. I mean, you're successful as an assistant. You've been successful as a high, high school head coach i mean talk about what you would tell these guys what to do hey listen man this is what i got for you hey this is what and it doesn't mean it's just football it could be any sport i think that uh first off like every job you do whether it sucks or you know it's a lot of fun like like i said earlier like own it you know what i mean like um there's nothing worse than like on a game day when you know you're in the office of coaches and i'm trying to you know, do last minute prep on like, you know, a call sheet or whatever. And I get a kid asking me for a mouthpiece and I and I look around and everybody's just on their phone or just, just looking at the kid and then I have to get up, you know, and fortunately that doesn't happen at old Rochester, but uh, you know, I think I'll take care of all the little things, make sure that, you know, whatever the head coach is asking of you, you make sure you do it because the more you do and the coach uh, has trust in you and has faith in you, like the more responsibility you're going to get, you know, you're not going to start off and go from you're coaching the freshman team today and then, a week from now, you're calling the offense. You know, you got to slowly build that trust and show that you can handle it and show that, like, you understand things and, you know, be humble about it. Like, I'm still, like I said earlier, like, I don't know everything. I'm always trying to learn. I was on the phone today with uh, Ross from uh, Barnesville, the head coach, and he's talking to me about things. And I'm like, man, I'm driving right now. Like, you need to text me this because I don't, I'd be like, you know, so, like, there's always something you can learn, something you can know. And, 
you know, like if it was a guy on my staff, I mean, I got these guys, Coach Sherman, my father, Coach DeRosia, they've seen a lot of football. They've seen more football than I've seen. So you can learn a lot, not just from the head coach, from assistant coaches. And, you know, there's times that you might have to, you might be a skill guy, but you've got to learn how to coach offensive line because that's where I need you this year. And, you know, just go all in and, and learn everything you can and, and try to be balanced. Try to know a little bit about defense. Don't just say, like, I'm an offensive guy. Like, I hear that a lot from, from some young guys. Like, oh, well, I'm an offensive guy. Well, in high school, we coach both ways, man. Like, you know, it's not, it's not college. We don't have offensive guys and defensive guys. You got offensive guys, defensive guys, and special teams, and it's all one here. So you better be able to, to earn your keep on both sides of the ball. You know what I mean? Um, so that would be my advice. Just learn as much as you can. You know, listen, listen, you know, little things you might think, ah, you know, like our line coach, Coach Sherm, like the linemen, you watch, they do this ritual every day. It's like 15 minutes. And if you're an outside looking at you, like, what is this doing? Like these guys just look like they're just shooting their hands and they're taking steps, but it's important because he's teaching flat back and everything else. And that the offense we run, like that's what he needs, you know? So like, you know, there's always little things, little nuances you can learn and, and pay attention. You can learn a lot of drills, just even on Twitter. You, you Sometimes I see like a drill that these Alabama linebackers are using. I'm like rolling tennis balls. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. They can do that. We certainly, old Rogers can do it, you know? So always try to learn, try to, try to get as much knowledge you can. The internet's a great resource. That's something that 20 years ago coaches didn't have, right. you know, more than plenty of high school coaches and college coaches, you shoot them an email or text, Hey, love to sit down. And they always want to get guys at their facility because at some point they might need a kid from old Rochester high school. So if you say, Hey, I'm a young coach, offensive line coach, I don't really know much. Can I, can I come up? They love to have you up there. So, you know, that'd be my advice is if, if it's, if you're serious about it and you know, and I was serious about it. And I know you were serious about it. If anybody was serious about it, they want to continue to learn and grow. And if you're a young coach, like there's plenty of opportunities out there, you know, and, and it might mean, you know, that you don't get paid right away, but in the long, you know, sometimes you got to take that first step and volunteer for year two, because something will open up. It might not be where you're at, but somebody will eventually a head coach will say, Hey, I know you got a spot. I got this guy. He's been volunteering for you. He's a good young coach. Like he'd be great for your program. And that's how it works. You know, guys are always, looking I get calls from guys hey you know that this kid played for you what do you think about him oh yeah he was a great kid he worked how to be a great coach you know that's how it goes a long way you know so I think if you if you're serious about it it's something you want to do you just go all in man you don't just stick your toe in the pool you just jump in and start, start you know doing the backstroke yeah and that's it I mean I even was looking for coaches at some point you know a prerequisite sometimes was just knowing technology I mean this coach is young we can teach him a lot of things but technology you know technologically they're savvy and they really know what they're doing great have them on staff they're a huge utilization so I think there's just so much of a range for young coaches out there that they bring so much to the table and like you said when head coaches give you more responsibility at the time you might hate it because you're like why am I doing everybody else's job but it's because they trust you to do that and they want you to grow and they see the potential in you and that's the way you gotta look at it even though in the moment it might be like oh I'm adding another huge thing I gotta do on my plate for this but it's worth it because you're also educating yourself and you're learning how to manage that load. And as we talked about when you interview for these jobs and you first become a head coach, there is a wow factor of being a little overwhelmed and having a little bit more responsibility and maybe not so much on the X's and O's aspect of it, but off the field, dealing with parents, dealing with kids, maybe grades or issues in the classroom or, um, you know, something's going on in someone's family. So there's a lot more that you have to be worried about. And those assistant coaches, you've got to be able to trust. So that's great advice, coach. Um, and what's cool, I asked all my, all my guests this question. And you're the first coach, again, that I've had on here that got the coach with his dad for so long. So I talk about sacrifice. I talk about, you know, being around sports. There's a lot of sacrifice you make. 
um, off the field as far as relationships go and friendships go and spending, you know, time. And when on a Friday or Saturday night, your friends are going away or doing something fun and you're in Ashland scouting a game, you know, because you got a game against them the next week and you got to see this team play live. So you sacrifice a lot of time and hockey. I'm sure you did the same exact thing. So talk about the sacrifice has gone into your coaching career a little bit and maybe the other things that you've kind of had a maybe put on the back burner a little bit during it. Yeah, I mean, I think to be successful coach, whether you're coaching, you know, the head coach of a football team in Old Rochester, you're coaching, you know, JV soccer or whatever it is, like it definitely eats into your personal time, right? But uh, I also think that, like for me, basically, and it's tough. Like you know, I got buddies. We're in fantasy football leagues, and it's like I'm in a fantasy football league, but I have to have a co-owner because I don't even have time. Like I don't even, I can't tell you. It's awful because I used to love watching. Like, I don't have time to even watch football half the time. You know what I mean? Because you, you're game plan or you do whatever. So, like, you know, but I love it. So, from August till November, I have no problem with – because to me, like, my going out my one night a week, that's a Friday night after the games with the other coaches. You know, like, so you definitely sacrifice a lot of your social life. You know, I've definitely lost relationships over – Coach, you know, I'm not a married guy. I have a girlfriend right now, but I, I don't have any kids. So I got two dogs. I have my girlfriend and she's very supportive of everything. And she's like, she knows I'm passionate about it. And that's what I love to do. So she's like, go ahead. And she, you know, she doesn't know the game, but she's learning to know the game and understands, you know, different things. And she understands that I'm like, hey, like I got to make this phone call. And it's an hour and a half later, I'm pacing my backyard, like talking about, you know, outside veer. You know what I mean? Like, um, so you definitely make sacrifices. Um, not everybody gets it, you know, I'm sure to a lot of people, you just coach in high school football, like, but I think if you talk to any coach who, who really cares, like, you spend a lot of time, man, and I'm not just saying head coaches, assistant coaches, a lot of time watching tape, especially once you get into, you know, that playoff drive, okay, you went through your seven weeks of regular season, now it's the playoffs, I mean, you watch so much tape to a point where it's almost like, count. it's, you know, you don't, you're not benefiting from it, because you got your head's full of so much knowledge, but, you know, but it's great. I mean, I love it. And, and you know, the, the crazy thing about football, it's a year round job. I mean, you may get your, your paycheck for, you know, August through November, but as soon as football ends, like at old Rochester, we take off December because we let the kids, you know, they're playing winter sports or whatever. And then uh, we stop back up in January and we go January through August and then we start football. So it's a year round commitment. And uh, my assistants they commit a year round. It's not like I'm the only guy showing up to weightlifting. They all show up too. that. We take turns. What guys can be there? What nights? And, um, you know, it, it's definitely a sacrifice, but um, I love it. And I wouldn't change it any other way, you know, until maybe, you know, um, maybe I'm sure I'll feel different. People say, hey, wait till you have your first kid. You know, maybe it'll be different then. But right now, these, these I got 75 kids, you know what I mean? I'm looking after all of them, you know what I mean? And even yeah. when I want to get away from them, I can't sometimes. So it's, it's good, man. I love it. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. So, I, you know, my last question I was going to ask you, you kind of answered. So how much time do you take away from football maybe let's not count the weight run but I mean like the film watching you know the spring practices that you might be going to visit colleges how much time do you take away once football season ends you're kind of like okay I'm going to take this amount of time away to recharge the batteries a little bit um you know usually so it's weird when I was coaching hockey still it was easy because I went from football season that day Monday after Thanksgiving you jump right into hockey so you're away from football but you're not a, you're still coaching so uh, so I haven't done that in two years now, and it's been nice. I usually take the month of December, and, you know, I'll watch Thanksgiving. We'll play, and I'll upload Huddle that night usually. And, um, you know, I end up watching it a couple times because that week, like usually right after Thanksgiving, 
you know, you get in the helmets, you shoulder pads out to be reconditioned. So that weekend you might watch it, but then I'll, I'll literally try to take the whole month of December and just say like, you know, nothing football, you know, we have an award down here called the autogram award. It's like uh, the top high school player in, in, in the South coast of Massachusetts. So that's in December. So besides that, I'll basically the whole month of December, I'll just not, I'll try I mean, you end up thinking you're watching, you can't help you're watching the Patriots or whatever. You're thinking about that. Like, Oh, you, you see a bowl game, you scribble something down like, Oh, let me keep that in mind. But uh, try to take a, at least a full month of December off. Um, and then usually like last year in January, we will have our first coaches meeting in January and we'll start talking about weight room. Um, you know, Hey, what clinics do we want to go to? You know, do we want to try to go visit a college this year? What are we going to do? So, January starts ramping back up. I mean, it's still, we meet like once a month, every month, but then I feel like once we get to like May, you know, everything with seven on sevens, everything going on, it starts ramping up. And usually we're meeting twice a month and then come July, August, it's almost like once a week as a coach's staff, we'll start meeting, you know, the kids weight lift, let's say 4.30 to 6.30, we'll get there. We'll meet either before they start or after they start. And, uh, you know, so really you get a month off, which is, doesn't sound like a lot but it is a lot it you know, is it's a lot. good time it's a long time to just kind of clear your mind and reflect a little bit on the season because you for me I was especially this past year after um you know losing Ashland that we played our Thanksgiving game I was like mentally exhausted like I won a couple of weeks where like I was just so happy to like go home after <laughs> go home after work and just relax and chill out on the couch and not really think too much about football and um but now you know with everything that happened with COVID you kind of wish that you didn't take that time off. You're like, man, because I, I, you know, it's like anything else you take for granted things sometimes. And I think um, this year for a certain, I think a lot of time, a lot of things that people take it for granted. Now you realize like how special they are, you know, so I can't wait to get back out there and be coaching every day. And, you know, maybe this year, I mean, if we play, play like we're supposed to, I mean, we're going to end in May, we'll stop back up in August. So there won't be any downtime, but uh, I think myself and I think a lot of coaches around the state would be excited for that. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, I, and I want to thank you for coming on here because honestly, listening to you, it's like coaches like you, why I started this podcast, because coaching is such a commitment and the things that you put into it in season, out of season, on your free time, going to clinics, going to spring practices, being there for your kids. And we didn't even talk about the whole recruiting aspect of players that are going to college. You mentioned Framingham State. Their head football coach is going to be a guest on here March 1st. So, you know, there's a lot that you do for your kids when the sport ends and, and that next step of where they're going to college, putting a recruiting tape together, sitting down with them, maybe for interviews, you know, and then obviously your weightlifting, you guys are starting back up in January. It's why I started this podcast. Coaches work so hard. It's not about the paycheck to them. Any coach who tells you about his paycheck, they're coaching D one level somewhere and making some pretty good money. That might be a little different jumping from job to job, but at the high school level, it's about the grind. It's about building the program and it's about being a good, you know, role model for your players and running the program the right way. And that's, that's what makes high school sports so amazing. And that's why it's been a big part of my life. And I've been loving the stories that I've been telling. It's coaches like you that really just dedicate yourselves to it. So, you know, thank you to all the parents out there and all the players that you've coached and you affected in a positive way. Thank you. Because there's a bunch of people talking about you out there, even when you don't even realize it in such a positive light. And like I said, so many people reach back out to me uh, when I announced you as a guest on the show about how great you were and how great your program is. So it was really nice to see that, that like outpour of support for you before you even came on the show. Thanks. Ian. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor to be on here. I've seen, I've been watching your podcast. I told you that I've been watching your podcast. You've had some great coaches on here, man. And I, I think you do a great job, man. I told you the other day, like, 
you might have found your niche, man. This might be the big thing for you. So yeah, you know, things you know, happen know for want, a reason, you know. Um, know it's crazy. I know you want to get back into coaching, but you might have found your niche here, man. And uh it's it's an honor to be on this show and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about uh the program and uh hopefully uh we have a good season and uh you can follow us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I plan on it. I plan on staying in touch, following you and, and having you back on at some point. I love to hear the, the, the experience of coaching during COVID. And I see hockey teams changing in their cars and kids walking into the ring with everything but their skates on. So I can only imagine what a football locker room when kids getting ready and what that's going to look like. Um, but before we go, we have our two-minute drill that we run here at the end of every show. So you've watched the show, so you've probably seen a few of these. But I'm just going to fire some rapid-fire questions at you. you got, you know, two minutes, as many as we can get in. I do get a challenge. Uh, if I want you to explain something a little bit more, I'm intrigued by the answer. And vice versa. If you want to be able to explain something, I'll give you that opportunity to, too. So let me set my timer here, uh, and away we go. Um, what's the best play in your playbook right now? Outside via. Okay. So big special teams guy. Who's the best special teams player you've ever coached at the high school level? Uh, and I'll let you explain. Kid, I'll let you explain. Yeah, we had this kid, Cole Bernier, when I was at O'Colony. He was our quarterback. Um, he was a gunner on the, on the punt team. He was on the kickoff. He played everything, man. And he, you know, as a sophomore and a junior, he led our team in special team tackles. And then he was a senior. He's our quarterback. And he's like, Coach, you got, I got to be on there. So I was like, hey. Get out, get out there, Yeah, man. putting your quarterback <laughs> is scary, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. But uh, he, he played outside linebacker for us, too. But uh, he was a tough kid, man. He could have played anywhere. He played at O'Colony, little D8 school. But he could have played anywhere, man. He's a tough as nails, and uh, he's a good kid, too, and competed his ass off. Awesome, awesome. Um, hardest working coach that you've ever coached with, either as an assistant or a head coach, someone that you were like, wow, this guy, besides your dad, I'm sure your dad's number one, but outside of your father. Oh man, that's tough. Cause I've had a lot of good guys I've coached with. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say coach Craig Sherman. I mean, the guy's 70 something years old and this guy lives, breathes football. I mean, he, I was talking to him today. He's talking to me about, he's an old line guy. He's, he's my defensive coordinator. He just loves it. And he loves the game and, you know, he, he's retired, but he still works. He's still banging nails on the side, trying to make some money. And all he talks about is football every day, football, football. He's always you know, I was, sometimes I get a text message like 5.30 in the morning. He's, he's an older guy, so he wakes up early 5.30 in the morning, and there'll be like, you know, six texts in a row, just long things. And uh, he's always talking. He's always down to talk football. So I'd have to go with him. And he's a Hall of Fame uh, Massachusetts high school football coach. So There you go. Yeah, you got a great staff around you, man. I, I, I mean, I'm lucky, It's man. awesome. It's awesome. Um, okay, Ohio State, Alabama. Alabama, man. Roll Tide. Okay. In 2021, the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots is who? It's tough, man. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. You know, I don't, get paid, <laughs> I don't get paid enough money to come for that answer, man. Nothing that's on their roster right now. That's what I'll say. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're going to see Jimmy G come back to town. Or what I'm kind of secretly hoping is Justin Fields somehow falls and the Patriots somehow move up a little bit. I think I would, there's your Kyle Murray, there's your Russell Wilson, all in one. I, you know? I would love to see. I just don't feel like they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round. Yeah. I just don't. Like, everybody thinks they will. So, I feel like when, they, when everyone else is zigging, they're zagging, man. It's, you know, uh, yeah. You know, they're drafting some time, linemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be an offensive lineman or a defensive yeah. tackle, you know, and everybody exactly. will be happy. But the guy will probably be an all-pro. You know, uh, it's hard to – you know, I know people are down on Belichick after this year, but how do you argue with what he's done, man? It's like yeah. <laughs> you're allowed a hiccup in 20-something years, you know. 
Yeah, uh, I don't even. It doesn't even bother me. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Yeah, this year I mean, you know, honestly, as a fan, and I'm a huge listen, and I'll. My players are spoiled, and everybody's all these eighteen-year-old kids are spoiled. No when idea. I was a kid, my grandfather had season tickets to the Patriots. They would win like one or two games. It was like empty, so old Sullivan Stadium. Like they don't metal know seats. what it's like. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the old metal seats. Like <laughs> yeah. we're so lucky. So we have a bad. I'm excited to see what are we going to do in the draft. How are we going to attack? I'm excited about it. And it's cool. And you learn a lot as a coach. We've learned a lot as a coach from their staff and how to run your program <laughs> and the mentality. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, Bill Belichick will never. There'll be another bad word I say about what he's done for sure. Um, all right, we'll start the clock back up. I got a few more questions. Fourth and goal from the three, what are you running? I don't know. So that, that was a situation as Ashland last year. We ran a QB follow and it didn't work out. So um, I don't know, man. I probably, if I could go back, I would have ran outside Veer on that play. Um, I probably, that's kind of like my go-to when, when we need something, I should have stuck with it, but I didn't hold my gun. So I'm going to say outside of here, man. It answers just, all I questions. Just, I just opened up a wound. <laughs> I apologize for yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, sideline behavior coach. How are you on the sideline? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm calm. I, I, you know, I don't get, uh, I don't get too excited. I don't get too mad. I'm pretty, I'm pretty laid back out there. You know, uh, I'm usually the one telling my assistant coaches back up guys, back up. You know, I got a couple coaches that like to creep on the field and, oh, yeah. you know, get those 15-yard penalties. I think I got one this past year, but it was it was unwarranted. I told the guy, like, come on, man. That's all I gave him, the old come on, man, and he, he tossed a flag oh, on me. That, so, yeah, uh, ref trying the game control early. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wasn't excited about that one. But for the most part, I think I'm pretty – now, when I was younger, I was out of control. I'd be the first to tell you. Like, I, I remember leaving a game, and on the bus ride home, I was like, man, like, you got to calm down. Like telling myself, well, you got to calm down, man. Like you're out of control out there. Yeah. And so, and after that experience, I think I got a 15 yard penalty and I, I was, after that, I was like, man, I got to really buckle down. I'm the head coach now. I got to set the example. So it's much I try different. To be yeah. in control. But <laughs> when you're an assistant different. coach, you can be a little bit more out of control. It's acceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can be more one of the guys when you're the head coach, you got to try to be more in line and in order, you know? Yeah. I had some great young guys. They, they knew, they knew, I think for anything, they were, I, they were my get back guys a little bit of time. So I, I get it. Um, <laughs> last one, you've coached at a lot of different places, but who's the best player you think you've ever seen come through either old colony or old Rochester, you know, someone who really stands out to you. That's another tough question, man. We I know. That's what I'm here for all the tough yeah. questions. <laughs> we had a, you know, it's different. We had a kid, Harry Smith. He's at a uh, Southern Connecticut. And he was a fullback for us, an outside linebacker, and he was a, a man amongst boys. I mean, he's like, I don't know, 6'2", 240 when he was in high school. He ran like a 4'6", Um, He's even bigger now. He, he's enormous now. He was a great player. Um, this past year, we had two kids, a Dylan DeWolf. He was an inside linebacker and a fullback. A Cam Brzezinski, a D-end and a fullback. And um, I don't know, those kids, I put those three kids up against anybody. I mean, those kids, they what what made them great is those kids were full go. You couldn't tell if it was a Tuesday practice or it was a Friday night game. You know, those kids only knew one speed and they made everybody else around them better, you know? And uh, right now those kids, those are the kids I'd want to go to war with if I had to tomorrow. That's awesome. That's great. Great answer. Coach, you've survived the two minute drill. Uh, as I said to you before, I, I really, I, I'm really honored to have you on here. I was really excited to, I was really excited for this one because like I said, the outpour of, of support and positive energy that, 
people gave to you, um, to me, you know, DMing me. I mean, I had people text me. I didn't know who they were. Um, so that just shows kind of the effect that you've had. Um, it, it was great. And I was really excited for this episode and it was amazing. I learned so much. My notebook just filled up a little bit more with some things, some news, some things when I get back into it uh, that, that are going to help me out. And it's coaches like you that, that, that make it really easy to, to love this sport for sure. So um, from beyond X's or well, beyond podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, uh, Bryce Gilbo, head uh, football coach at old Rochester high school. We appreciate you coming on coach. And until uh, next time, Anthony, I have one question for you. Yeah, go for it. All right. Spicy chicken sandwich. Who has the best spicy chicken sandwich? Oh, man. That, that's uh, a that tough question. I'm here for the hard-hitting questions, man. Uh, I mean, I'm a big McDonald's guy, um, yeah. you know, because with the little ones, they love French fries. That's like the big thing in this, in this house now. It's all about the French fries, and they love French fries. So I think any spicy chicken sandwich I get, it's typically from McDonald's just because of proximity and what my kids really like. All right. <laughs> respect it. I respect it. Hey, fun fact about our guy Craig Turner over at Wilmington High School. Okay, doesn't let's like, hear it. Doesn't like spicy food. Wow, really? Crazy, huh? I should have had I that asked, on the two-minute drill. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish he had because I asked him spicy chicken sandwich. Who's got the best? And he said, I don't know. I don't like spicy food. I was shocked. Wow. Well, that's great. Now it's great to have guests that know guests and, yeah. and can give facts about guests for the next time they come on. This is great. I'm opening up a whole new window. Of things. This is awesome. <laughs> And hey, I appreciate man. you dealing with this uh, background falling apart halfway through the interview. That was, uh, that was unexpected, but Hey, you know, the show goes on. We're going to get you an old Rochester uh, t-shirt to put up there in the background. Heck yeah. I'll wear it and it'll be up there every episode that I promise you for sure. All right, man. Well, thanks for having me. I really had a lot of fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on again. Anthony Petrello's beyond podcast till next time, guys. Thank you so much.